Thank you for tuning in. What happens when many movements come together under a single new banner? There's some confusion, some excitement, and some less than honorable actors who take liberties and advantage as all the details get sorted. For the true practitioners, however, ESG is the culmination of environmental health and safety, corporate social responsibility, highly regarded business operations, and good corporate citizenship all rolled together with a long-term ROI and more immediate returns in terms of client and talent, attraction and retention. ESG done well is fully strategic, leadership-driven, and about seeking real impact and results environmentally, socially, and in terms of good governance. In this episode, our guest Rebecca Wisniewski, managing partner, and Gary Wisniewski, chairman of the advisory board of ALO Partners, walk us through the basics of ESG, where we are, where we may be headed, and how we can begin to become a meaningful part of the supply chain for more sustainable good in the much needed, fast growing, and soon to be required practice of ESG. So without any further delay, let's learn more about both the talk and the walk of ESG. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Rebecca and Gary Wisniewski, of ALO Advisors, Rebecca Managing Partner, and Gary Chairman of the Advisory Board. And our topic is ESG, the idea of creating sustainability through better environmental, social, and organizational governance practices in AEC and beyond. Rebecca and Gary, welcome to the podcast. Hi, good morning. Thanks, Pete. Good morning, Pete. Nice to join you. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today um, and talking about ESG. It is, um, it's a concept that I think many of us have heard about, um, but may not truly understand uh, what it all means. And that may be being, uh, becoming more obscure today as it seems to become a buzzword. And, um, but yet at the same time, I have clients and hear from other AEC design firms that they're being asked as part of RFPs to share their ESG related practices. So it's very real, uh, at least for some of us right now. And I suspect that it's likely going to get more real for more of us over time. So um, I'm excited to dive into this topic, but could we begin by defining, well, let's start first, maybe learning a little bit more about um, you and your careers. how you both got involved with ESG and also about um, ALO advisors so we can kind of set the deck for diving into ESG. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, great. No, great to be here, Pete. Thanks for the invitation. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm old enough that um, I grew up in the, in the 60s and 70s. I lived in Detroit. I lived in Pittsburgh. Um, my father was in the steel business. I mean, I remember car plants, hazy air, dirty water. Um, I even remember, you know, the Cuyahoga River caught fire, what, I think 13 times. Um, that was the whole birth of EPA, 1970, first Earth Day, passing Clean Water Act. Um, you know, we all read Silent Spring in school. We remember DDT being banned. Um, so that was my era uh, growing up. I mean, I, um, it, it was incredibly impactful. Um, I, it just, it really influenced my whole career thinking that I, I can help. Um, I need to do something. It inspired me to go into environmental engineering uh, to get a civil engineering degree. Eventually I went back and got a master's in environmental. And so um, I, I knew we had to do something. So that was kind of the background uh, for me. It's, um, you know, we've evolved from what we'd call pollution prevention uh, really into sustainability, into sort of what we now call ESG. So um, I think people of my era kind of are the pioneers in this space. And uh, we've, Gary and I have come up through the technical ranks, um, maybe not so much the way people are doing it today, but uh, no, it's, it's quite exciting in our lifetime to see it, see it evolving. Yeah, and my background's similar, you know, um, um, very much grew up appreciating and valuing uh, the outdoors and natural beauty, et cetera, et cetera. And, and um, also pursued a um, path through environmental and civil engineering. That's my background and had the, the privilege of working with, with one environmental health and safety and sustainability consulting firm for about 30 years. And um, over the last 10 years, I uh, had the privilege of leading that firm and, and really began to see the emergence of sustainability as a, as a sort of focus practice area. And I think as Becky alluded to, that's, you know, the, this, this is all culminated in sort of combining, uh, I think, a couple of different initiatives, corporate social responsibility, environmental and safety, um, you know, responsibility and performance and, and all that package under, you know, um, everything that goes into, you know, good governance. Um, and that includes, that delves into the realms of, you know, um, ethics and, and, and others. So it's, um, it's all culminated now and, and um, kind of been bundled into this, um, you know, as you said, buzz, buzzword ESG, but um, it's very broad in terms of the, 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 the number of um, elements of an organization's performance that it, it can encompass. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. And I do want to dive a little bit more into that definition, but I love the way you just described that. And before, just to, what, what, what do you do at ALO Advisors? Mm-hmm. I, um, well, about, I think it was 2018, um, John Platko, who's the other managing partner, I'm, I'm the other one, um, decided that he needed to um, embark on his own and he could do things um, in a better way. So I started working with him, with him in 2019. We, we founded the firm. Um, we, are, we operate kind of at the ESG sort of management strategy level. Um, we've got now uh, about 16, 17 people, I think, one, two, three, four, five in five countries, uh, although we operate 
globally. Uh, we have a network of consulting partners we work with around the globe. So, uh, and it's ALO is actually a word. It's, uh, it means sustain in Latin. So it's a little bit of a, yeah, tongue twister, but it is, is ALO, ALO advisors. And Gary has joined us on our advisory board. Uh, just through all of his 30 plus years of experience, he helps, um, helps, helps uh, manage the firm and, and run the business for us. Well, thank you for that. Well, let's let's dive right in. And I think it's great that your industry insiders that have truly been part of this as it's been formulated into the ESG movement and are actively working in that space now. So I think that gives tremendous credibility to dive into the, the nuances of this. Um, can we just say anything else to, that would help define ESG yes. um, and it, its history and maybe, you know, even though it's maybe co-mingled with, you know, an environmental health and safety and CSR, but, but can you share a little bit about the history and, and maybe how is it different or just adds on to the, the uh, corporate social responsibility? Sure, Pete. I mean, what, um, I mean, social responsibility came around really from this idea of, you know, the corporation's kind of right to exist extends beyond um, sort of the traditional view of, of shareholder primacy, um, that companies should be looking at all of their stakeholders um, and providing um, some benefit beyond uh, just the just the shareholders and that you know the original um, social responsibility has kind of morphed into this well, it, it really is a code of conduct if you will sort of this playbook for good corporate citizenship and ESG um, encompasses really uh, five categories of topics um, that I would sort of break it down into first I think three of them probably are what you might expect to see um, think environmental topics around greenhouse gas emissions. How are you managing your energy? How are you managing your water and wastewater? Uh, things around hazardous waste. Um, second bucket is around leadership and governance. Um, you know, ethics around your business practices, competitive behavior, um, legal compliance issues. The third one would be around uh, labor practices, which is kind of a, a human capital bucket, I think, um, employee health and safety, diversity, inclusion, and belonging issues. Um, and the next two are probably not as intuitive. Um, people might not consider these ESG topics, but they are in the spectrum and it, things around social capital, uh, which is what we sort of bucket as human rights issues in supply chains. Uh, things around customer privacy, data security, um, access and affordability of products, uh, safety of your products. Um, and then the, the final one, I would sort of call this business model and innovation bucket, which is around um, designing your products. Do you design your products for remanufacturing? Um, have you minimized raw material use? Do you look at life cycle management or what we call circularity of your products? Uh, resiliency of your business model. So ESG to me really is a playbook, uh, like I said, for good corporate stewardship that, en that encompasses these topics that you really need to do well. You really need to hit it out of the park on these topics. Your stakeholders expect that you will. And, and like I said, we've moved beyond just shareholders to the stakeholder spectrum, which is your employees, uh, your customers, um, you know, the, the communities in which you operate, as well as your investors. 
Well, I th thank you for that. And, and I think that just on its surface just sounds like such good practice and, and definitely a, a larger movement, I think, of people who may not be in business that says that's attractive to me. That sounds like the right thing to do. You mentioned is a, you know, a, a playbook. Is there a common playbook? Is there like, you know, the, 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 as before I get there, is there enough tangible evidence out there, studies from a financial perspective that if you, you, you what you just said, it just it feels right and it seems to make sense. But is there from a business perspective, like if employed, does, is there a return on investment? Is, is that case pretty clear that it, it, this is good from a financial perspective? And maybe we get into then we can talk about the the uniformity of it, like in a playbook. Yes, you know, um, you know, business is, is used to looking at shorter term returns on investment, but, um, you know, within sustainability or ESG investments, it's, it's a longer term ROI, but, um, you know, we have been working closely with uh, Tanzi Whalen, who runs the Stern Center for Sustainable Business at NYU, and they actually have a, an open source uh, product, which is called Return on Sustainable Investment, Rosie, where they are actually able, we are actually able to monetize now investments in sustainability. And, and there's lots of literature on this. It's a, it's a methodology that's been accepted now. And we can actually monetize returns and things around attracting employees, retaining employees. We've seen um, you know, less time spent on public hearings, permitting goes smoother, um, citing things go smoother. So um, these types of returns uh, can actually be monetized, put in business language. So we can sit, at the, sit around the financial tables with the CFO and uh, look at the gap closure uh, around some of the, the hurdle rates for some of these projects based on our, our returns that we can see with these sustainable investments. And uh, Tanzi and her team at NYU have done some great um, case studies and um, and um, stu and studies, and um, they have a lot of great information and data that supports the notion that uh, you know a, a firm with a with a good ESG track record, you know, generally um, will outperform the industry on a multitude of fronts. It's, it's seen as a proxy, right, mm. for, for good mm. management. So we call it needs to be embedded. Um, ESG is like quality. It's part of everyone's job. And a robust embedded ESG program is seen as a proxy for overall good management of the business. Great. Well, all right. So if I was a, if I was interested in doing this, like that sounds great. And I love the return on the investment aspect too. Are there any like national or international guidelines, fiduciary requirements, you know, sort of standards that exist? And then, um, you know, th there's the, you know, reporting agencies and disclosures and some of the, that seem like costly, cumbersome administrative things. Can you, could you, it's a two-part question, but the first is, are there any standards? And then what, what is this whole kind of disclosure piece? What, what does that look like? And maybe who does that apply to? The um, yes. Um, well, first of all, the standards. Yes, um, globally there are standards. There are requirements uh, now coming down around greenhouse gas or, or carbon disclosures. Uh, there's there's requirements around product life cycle or product environmental footprint, as they call it. Um, in the U.S., we're, we're just kind of filtering through. Um, there are a lot of 
rating agencies right now that, that publicly disclose numbers, uh, a rating, an ESG score for a lot of firms. Um, and so we get calls saying, I see my score, it's not high, I want to do something about it. And so what you, you, you have a lot of options there. There are a lot of frameworks for disclosure right now in the US, but they are voluntary. And there are a lot that are competing uh, to get to the top. Um, the SEC now requires on 10K disclosures, uh, a statement around human capital, um, your diversity profile. They have just come out with proposed regulations around uh, carbon, carbon emission numbers. This will be an SEC requirement now for public companies. And this is proposed. The comments are coming in um, later this month. So this would be if, if passed, this would be um, come about in 2024-25 timeframe. Um, but like I said, right now, stakeholders want to know that the companies they invest in, that they do business with, that they work for, are good corporate citizens. They want to feel good about that. And the only way they can know that a lot of times is with what the companies disclose. And this was the 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 reasoning for sustainability reports, originally CSR reports, and then sustainability disclosures. Um, companies now are doing this voluntarily, putting it on their website. Um, you know, they're a little bit controversial because a lot of times it just says what we do really well, and it talks about a lot of activities. We run 10Ks, we do things, but it really doesn't get into impact and really talk about um, what you are doing well, what is not working well, but what are your plans and what is the true impact um, that you are providing. Um, and so those things continue to evolve, but there are a lot of frameworks uh, right now in the US, um, a lot of standards, a lot of uh, recommendations on disclosure standards, um, but no real requirements uh, across the board. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and so, and then and that, that, that might be part of the confusion in the, I want to do this, but what do I need to do? But it sounds like a lot of those disclosures or, you know, either required or, or discretionary are really for the bigs. It's the, it's the public companies and maybe people who really want to be seen in that space. Is, is, is that true? Or do you see other firms choosing to disclose or other businesses? We, I mean, it, you know, certainly the public sector, um, publicly traded firms, um, you know, it, they, it's tied to their brand, especially consumer products companies. It's tied to their branding. It's tied to their reputation. Um, you know, one issue in a supply chain, a human rights issue in a supply chain could be very, very detrimental um, to a branding, uh, to a brand. So, but we do see private companies um, going down this path. And again, there is such a competition now for um, talent. Um, they want to hold on to the people they have. They want to attract um, you know, younger, I, I guess I can say that, newer, newer people to the workforce um, that maybe have, have these types of priorities that weren't really um, you know, seen as priorities before. Um, so they are, I mean, private companies are sort of making making these disclosures now um you know it, the only way um 
rating agencies can find you is based on what you disclose. And so um, it's always a question, my score is not high. Well, what have you put out there? When we help clients look at their ratings, the first thing we look at is the number is not so important as what are they rating you on? What are they looking at and where are they getting that information? So if you wanna be seen as you know a better player in the environmental space, um, the only way um, you can do that is through your disclosures. Mm. And I, I want to dive into the our AEC industry, but what you just said piqued my interest. So these rating agencies, there's no affiliation with the firm. They're, are they just third parties that say, I want to rate company X and company Y, and based on what I see out in the marketplace, I'm going to rate you with two or I'm going to rate you with 10. And, and so you're sort of at the at the mercy of these in, independent third parties. And, and so therefore, in order to position yourself to... Um, be in, at their mercy and, and, and have a positive outcome, you just disclose more stuff. Is that accurate it, or am I missing? Yes. I mean, they, you know, some have more holistic intentions than others, but, you know, mostly they're for-profit services that help you make choices. Um, you know, there's some that um, rate uh, subcontractors or firms that you might choose to do business with. And what you could do is go to their rating agency, see who's on there, see what their score is, and that could help you decide whether to do business with them. Um, you know, other ones put out scores and publicly disclose these. And so investors get a hold of this. Um, you know, the, the private equity firms use this. Um, as sort of a, a screening tool, if you will, to, to guide their clients around investments. I think you've heard about impact investing, but um, even looking at, you know, what the rating is helps give them an idea of, you know, where on the scale, how mature uh, their ESG uh, program is. Is this a fixer upper? Are they very mature? And this can affect, you know, the value creation over the, over the life of the holding or even, you know, the initial, the initial, uh, cost going in, right? Uh, the initial investment required. So certainly some outside motivation being yes. put on the firm, not, not just our own pace. It's mm -hmm. maybe we are accelerated by the people we want to influence or um, help frame up people we want to influence. How, when we think about the space, so if we transition into AEC, what, I guess big, but why is it become, or is it is it becoming a thing? I mean, a lot of times that you know what happens in the public space that does translate down to smaller private organizations. So there's that phenomenon. But is there anything in particular? Why is it now being applied and and becoming a thing in in AEC? Well, I'll, I'll speak first about ALO. I mean, you know, this is, this is our business, right? I mean, we work with global clients helping them with this, and we certainly need to walk the walk and talk the talk ourselves. So uh, we, I mean, ALO as a company, um, we have undergone a materiality assessment, which is, is sort of the first step in the, in the, um, the ESG um, process is is to look at what applies to us and, and what do we really need to get right as a company what is what has financial implications on us as a business and uh, wh what's the gap uh, to where we are to where we want to be so um, you know yes we do this as a company I think the expectations are that um, you're again it's it's a playbook for good corporate citizenship and, and we certainly need to model that um, and I, I think Gary can start to speak about sort of the AEC firms role. Yeah, I mean, as, as far as the industry goes, you know, um, it most of the most of the AEC and engineering consulting construction firms, they work 
for these other um, clients. And um, so therefore you're in, the, you're in the supply chain. So in some way, um, you know, they're, they're what's, a lot of what they're measuring includes their supply chains. And so if you're in the supply chain, you know, you're going to be subject to some scrutiny and some question about, um, you know, your ESG practices. So supply chain has a lot to do with it because they're affiliating their organization with you, then you're going to count in some way, at least they're going to perceive you to count in some way as part of their, their scoring. So part of it is supply chain. Um, part of it is, um, even though we, you know, as, as engineering consulting firms don't produce anything, are not really that involved in the whole environmental footprint or circular economy of our products or whatever, um, we're still, um, we still have, um, we still use, we still run office space. We still lease buildings. We still use energy. We fly around the globe. So we burn fossil fuels. Um, so we have, it's not to say we don't have a footprint, although relatively speaking, it's probably um, small, but, but certainly, you know, as you move into some of the other aspects, um, certainly around, um, you know, um, human capital, so employee, employee wellness, employee retention, competition for talent, um, the whole area of governance and, um, you know, anti-corruption, ethics, et cetera. So there are elements that touch the, the engineering, consulting, you know, construction management space for sure. Right. And, and what about from a, again, kind of tie into the, the business perspective you hear because, you know, private equity is getting more and more involved in our industry that there's you know, in addition to a proxy for good business practices, it, it, it translates in the M&A market too. You know, if you're associated with ESG, is, is that a driver, maybe increasing the awareness of ESG or is that just sort of, you know, that just is happening behind the scenes? How, how do you think the role of, of, of private equity and in, in M&A in general as, is, is bringing ESG to the surface? Yeah, I, I mean, I personally think that, um, that the private, I mean, private equity, as you said, has taken an interest in the engineering in EHS consulting space, and it's been growing for, for the past 10 or 15 years. Um, I think there's a, there's a renewed sort of keen interest in the space now because ESG is seen as such a um, high, potential high growth um, arena that um, a lot of private equity interest right now is, is sort of positioning or getting a, um, Getting positioning in the in the market with a, with a firm um, to it's also a very fractured industry so there's an opportunity to consolidate and then a lot of it is about positioning participate um, and if you think about it whether it's on the infrastructure side if you think about the long term implications of say climate change and the impact on um, infrastructure it's it's huge right if you think about um, all the work that companies are going to need to do to when, when the regulations start to kick in, like as Becky suggested around carbon disclosure, um, the amount of consulting work and, and work that's gonna need to be done there is, is perceived as being significant and therefore driving opportunity for double digit growth. And, and I think that's really driving a lot of the, the private equity interest. I, you know, having one of these firms in your portfolio might, you know, might, um, put a little halo effect around the firm, but I, but I honestly think it's, it's for the growth opportunity. Mm, thank you for that. And if I, you know, Becky, you mentioned, um, 
materiality assessment. If I was a, for, I got an RFP or I got a sample RFP from an ideal client that says, I'm going to have to talk about ESG, or I just want to get in the space as, as, a, as a designer, as a consultant, um, in the context of operating my business in ESG and also being able to sort of have these disclosures, what, what does it look like? What, what, what would be my typical investment to become legitimate in, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in ESG and what would I need to be doing? Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, we sort of, we, we have this continuum, right? Uh, you know, maturity and, and even in the environmental space, you know, we, we talk about, we go from reactive to sort of compliant to kind of proactive and strategic. And they're the same type of maturity continuum in ESG. And you would start, you know, with the basics, which is what applies to me? Um, what, what should I be looking at? Um, where do I want to be in each of these things and what's my gap? So it's really kind of a gap analysis around what applies to me and um, where I should be focusing. And so this is, what, uh, this is what we call a materiality assessment, which you know, I talked about sort of these five buckets of topic areas. The first step is to, um, is to do, start this gap analysis where you look at these five topics and you come to some kind of consensus about what specifically applies to me. And, and the way you do that is you, um, we always look at peers and competitors. You look at what other people are doing in the industry. You look at all the rating agencies, what, and you come to some consensus, um, a starting point. And then the second piece is this stakeholder outreach, right? And so the biggest misconception is that you can silo this. And, and no, the whole, the whole premise of ESG is built around stakeholder engagement. And so once you sort of have your topic areas, then the stakeholder outreach piece starts and, and you, you engage with your customers, you engage with your employees, you engage with your investors to say, here, here's what we're thinking. Uh, what do you think we really need to get right as a company um, based on what you know about us, based on what you know about others in the business? And so you kind of, you do this engagement, you come to this consensus around what applies to us, and then you really look at, okay, how well are we doing currently in this short list and come up with where we need to go from here um, based on how, what kind of resources we can allocate this year, next year, our scheduling, whatever. You, this is where the strategy piece comes in is from this short list, um, from your gap analysis, you decide what you need to do going forward. And it sounds like it's almost similar to like a strategic planning type uh, uh, project in a way. And, you know, and it also sounds like ESG in this, it's an executive function, at least to start in order to be able to um, see across and through different business units and, um, and make it part of the firm and the DNA and the, and the overall mindset, you know, kind of thing like, like quality that you mentioned, it's got to be an executive function. It's not buried in the organization to start. Is that, would you think that's true? Absolutely. And you engage a cross-functional team, exactly as you said. I mean, once, you know, we can have sort of a smaller team do the initial upfront, do the stakeholder outreach. And then when you come together with this team, you have representatives from legal, from operations, from HR, from risk management, all the functions come together. Here's what our stakeholders are saying we need to do. Here's and you get that feedback, well, where are we with this? Where are we with this? So you need that cross-functional vision. You need support from the top, from leadership, certainly uh, to make this happen. And um, you, you have to get that support and um, that, that push from leadership. You're right, you can't silo it. It can't happen uh, in one department. 
And, and ideally, you mentioned strategic planning, Pete. Ideally, it's embedded into your strategic planning. So um, it's not a separate um, activity from strategic planning. Right. And in that case, it probably embedded in mission, vision, and values. Like they, they've all just got to sync together because um, we can't have ESG if our values are something different. I, right. I would think it's just not, it's, it's going to be incongruent. Do you, um, do you see that more and more with that you're coming in or it's, it's, it's a tack on it? Do you think more and more it is just truly, it is embedded in strategic planning or um, in, in, in acquisition research? Do you, it, it, are you seeing it more of a, it, it's part of doing business or it's the, the oh yeah, we need to do this too? It's, um, it depends. We see it both ways. Sometimes we'll get a call saying, you know, I'm, um, I'm working uh, one of our big clients, Toyota, just sent me a big ESG survey. I, I don't know what to do. We've never faced this. How do we get started? Um, so a lot of times it's, it's sort of that comes up and then there's a, there's a socializing of this issue and it goes all the way to the top that, you know, we've got to get positioned uh, to do this. This is the tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Uh, sometimes there are very enlightened firms that see other firms out there that they want to emulate. Um, and so they come to us and say, we really think these guys are cool. We want to be like them. Um, how do we get started from, from the top? What should we start doing? So we actually kind of see it um, both ways. <laughs> right. And, and maybe just a function of how it's entering and becoming more prevalent in the industry. If, um, if, if I, and I doing the materiality assessment and really kind of getting ready to walk the walk and talk the talk, right? That, that's the key aspect. If, if we've done that, like say I'm a firm and, and we've done that or feel pretty good that we're on that track, but then uh, Gary, as you mentioned, the, the, maybe there's more work in this. If we, now that we understand this and, 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 and it's, it's filtered through and we really want to be not only strong ourselves in ESG, but we want to help other firms do that or other organizations do that. What, what are some of those steps to not only becoming ESG um, compliant in a way or, or as best we can from a practice perspective, but then we want to offer these services. It, how do you see, do you see firms doing that and what, what might they be con need to consider? Oh, uh, absolutely. It, it's, you know, it's going, it's being woven into all the service offerings that traditional engineering, you know, consulting firms provide. And if you think about it, I mean, we're, we're in the business of helping clients solve problems or, you know, build projects or whatever. And they, they're, you know, there's an ESG component to every single aspect. And so um, as you, you know, again, it's, it's sort of, it needs to become, it's, it's not an expectation that it's a really a separate service. Maybe the strategic management consulting piece of helping a company put together a roadmap or a plan, you know, is, is, a, is an independent activity. But at the end of the day, it becomes embedded in all your service offerings. And if you're an architectural firm, you're embedding it into your green building design. If you're, you know, if you're environmental health and safety firm, you're embedding it into all the services that you're providing those customers um, because you're in doing that, you're helping them with their ESG um, initiatives. So it's, it's really, you know, it's the same in terms of or a lot of what's happening in, in the industry today. It's certainly among the environmental health and safety firms. It's, it's sort of, as Becky said, you, if you're going to consult externally to your customers, you have to demonstrate that you can walk the walk yourself. And so there's a little bit of a, a, a race to the top right now amongst the environmental health and safety firms who, who can 
you know, who can really um, live the, uh, um, um, the promise and, and demonstrate that they can be, you know, um, carbon neutral and et cetera, et cetera. So, but it's, it, it's just becomes an extension of every one of your service lines. Great. Thank you. Uh, you know, the, I mean, everything we've talked about, it just, it makes intuitive sense. It feels good, has great return on investment and maybe even growth potential. It, it, the world of ESG. How, I mean, what might you say to leaders out there who just might be thinking it's a fad or there's no tangible business value, just sort of dismiss the idea or are cynical because they see so much, you know, ESG washing or, or the buzzword out there. And so therefore they just sort of discount that. I mean, what, what, what are your thoughts? Do, well, number one, do you come across that? And number two, what are your thoughts on how to help firms and leaders advance? Yeah, there, there's a, it's not, it's not without its controversial side, you know, um, either. And, and as you alluded to earlier, there's a lot of um, real greenwashing or ESG washing. There's a lot of accusations of greenwashing or, or you know, kind of inflating, um, um, you know, results. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, um, and, and we, you know, at ALO, we sort of try to translate everything into what we call the universal language, which is, which is why we really encourage clients to monetize um, ESG decisions. At the end of the day, um, our, our belief is that it has to make economic sense, financial sense, um, in order to be, in order to truly be sustainable. So um, you can see a lot of examples out there of a lot of um, money thrown at solving problems, and you know, ten years later and tens of millions of dollars later, um, no real impact from a lot of activity. And so there, there's a there's a big shift on right now, kind of focusing on results and impact. Um, and not just, you know, a lot of um, spinning, spinning your tires and, and, and writing um, reports, um, but really focusing on demonstrating uh, impact. And um, I, I think that trend is going to continue. I think there's, we're sort of moving beyond the accusation, you know, the greenwashing and the PR spin, and people are really starting to focus on, um, if I'm making this commitment and I'm making this level of investment, you know what? What's the impact that we're getting? And 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 our and we argue that you can you can start out with the greatest intentions. You can spend a lot of money, but if it's truly not, you know, financially viable um, and sustainable, then you, your chances of ever achieving the impact are are almost nil. Right. And then and then we're out. Go, go ahead, Becky. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, and this is more evidence that we've moved beyond, you know, regulatory driven to performance driven and results driven. And, and certainly, you know, we have clients that start this journey and they'll say, you know, I can't get my CFO's attention and thinks it's fad and thinks this. Okay, well, let's just start with something simple uh, like energy management. You know, okay, you run 900 vehicles that, that idle 24 hours a day. Have you ever done any energy management? Have, no. <laughs> so, I mean, you can get someone's attention really quick when you can put the pencil to paper, just, you know, we can save 3 million bucks a year already optimizing this, lowering your carbon footprint, getting your story aligned. All these things are tremendously uh, cost effective. You can actually get returns. You can in build in innovation uh, around ESG that has huge financial benefits. 
Um, and, and this is the cool thing about where we've evolved to. It's not a regulatory driven, this isn't overhead, you know, oh my God, this is gonna cost me. No, these, these things are actually good for you, good for your business, uh, good for your stakeholders. And um, this, is, this is the cool thing about where, where it's evolved to. And probably a lot of great ideas and case studies that are out there that you just what you just rattled off. Yep. Probably just a little limited research. You probably have a lot of very tactical things that that could be done. Mm-hmm. And at, at the same time, I think to the, you know, th- th- there's much more educated stakeholders. Like if we define our stakeholders, and probably uh, pretty high truth detectors, uh, a- authenticity barometers, however we want to call it. That if we say something, th- there is probably that the walk the walk element that we're going to just lose all credibility um, if, if, if we're not really walking the walk. As, um, as, as, as we look to close here, I mean, <clears throat> we've been talking about a lot of things, but is there anything else that I haven't asked or that we haven't chatted about that you think would really help leaders understand more about the idea of, of ESG and really sustainable business practices overall that you think could help advance them, maybe their executive teams and, and, and firms overall? Um, you know, just to wherever you sit, um, sort of start your journey, I guess would be my advice. I mean, this is a ball rolling downhill at you. Um, you need to be prepared. And so certainly, you know, the SEC is involved now. <laughs> they are going to demand these disclosures. You don't want to wait until you're under the gun uh, to have to do these things. You want to start now uh, thinking about it, preparing your data, looking at where you are so you can tell your own story at your own pace and uh, not feel, you know, pressured to come up with things and scramble. And so um, this is going to affect everyone. Um, and like I said, it's, it's Indiana Jones. Here's the ball is, is rolling downhill at us. And we know it. <laughs> we have time now uh, to get in, to get ready, uh, get in position, start telling our story. And the other thing is honesty. Um, in these disclosures, you know, um, we ask, we ask that, you know, our, our, our clients be very honest and people value that. If you say, I, you know, we, we had this goal, we just are not going to make it this year, but this is the progress we've made. And I think that type of humbleness and honesty goes a long way in this space. As Gary said, there's a little bit of controversy around some of these disclosures that they may not be seen as authentic. Um, and that really needs to, to change. Anything on yeah, your end, Gary? And I, and I, no, I would just add that, um, you know, recognition that um, a lot of these ESG challenges are not simple problems to solve, and uh, they won't be solved over, over short periods of time. It, it really is going to take a sustained long-term commitment. Um, and um, I, I, I also think that that leads to, you know, I, I think the, you know, the AEC consulting industry is sort of uniquely positioned to play a role as, you know, um, as consultants, as people who can help facilitate what we call collective action, which means that bringing various stakeholders together to work on some of these larger scale issues um, that are simply beyond the ability of one company or one country or one, you know, um, NGO to solve. And um, I I do think there's a special role for um, the consulting industry to play in putting together the consortiums and, and facilitating the collective action of various stakeholders to, um, to really you know, work on these problems on a scale 
where we actually do have measurable um, impact and, and results. Well, th thank you. Th thank you both um, for that. Thank you both for, for being here. As, as, we, as we close, is, is, how, how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about what you're doing um, and uh, resources that you have in, in ALO Advisors? You can um, contact or ping us on our website, aloadvisors.com. And uh, that, that's the easiest way. I think we have our team. We have some work examples on there. Great. And I, I'll put link to that in the show notes and, um, and, and that contact information through that. Well, I want to thank you um, both for, for joining us and really kind of diving into the ESG topic. I truly appreciate it. And uh, I think it was, this is very helpful. Great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for the invitation. Thanks, it's great right. to be with you. Look forward to chatting again. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.